Welcome to another episode of the Variety Podcast, Strictly Business, in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in the media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein, co-editor-in-chief of Variety. The annual Can Lion event returns this month, which means the media and marketing worlds are about to converge in the south of France. And whenever these industries come together, you could bet our next guest is at the center of the room. Michael Casson is the CEO of MediaLink, a company dedicated to connecting the major players in the space for deal-making and more. Thanks for coming in. This is why it's always great to connect with you because you've seen it over, seen it all over decades in this business. But I'm curious, as you head into Cannes, what do you think is going to be sort of foremost on the minds of marketers and media industry people? So, Andrew, it's great to, to join you today. Um, the, the only thing I'd say uh, to edit a bit of, of that lovely introduction, thank you. Okay. Um, we look at it as marketing and media, but we also look at it as a broader base. We look at it as the intersection of marketing, media, advertising, entertainment, and technology. Um, that's sort of the want of MediaLink as a company. We, we like to believe that we were fortunate enough to find that intersection. The Can Lions um, is really a manifestation of that. It's, it's life imitating art. It's the personification, if you will. It brings together marketing, media, advertising, entertainment, and technology. And over the last few years, there's been an addition. We see the uh, investor community. We see the private equity players showing up there as well in, in, in larger numbers these days because as they're looking at investments, they figure you might as well be where the action is. Um, as I think you know, because we've chatted about this before, I'm a Hamilton uh, aficionado. So mm-hmm. we like to think of Cannes as the room where it happens, uh, you know, the five blocks, if you will, on the Quasette where it happens. But uh, all those players are converging. I think. Um, this year, uh, as usual, the center of the Cannes Lions Festival is around creativity. That's the thread, why people go there. And I, I think it's worthwhile to give a little bit of history of how the Cannes Lions started. That's okay. what it was originally. It was a festival to celebrate creativity. And so you'd have all the creative agencies there, the, the stock names that you'd know, McCann Erickson and BBDO and DDB and etc. Ogilvy. Um, about 20 years ago, I happened to be in the south of France on holiday, and it's a great story. It's kind of a Wizard of Oz moment. I was sitting at the pool, and I saw a bunch of people from the advertising industry, from the creative side, and I was running a large media agency back then. And I said, in my uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz moment, I said, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there. Like, why are all these people here in the south of France? <laughs> and they said to me, well, it's the Cannes Lions. And, and, you know, to put it in context, I was running the largest media agency in the world at the time. And I said, oh, I've heard about that. Because the media side was not included. It was strictly the creatives. And I said to my wife that day, I said, you know, honey, I'm going to take a ride into Cannes. We were in Antibes. I said, I'm going to take a ride into Cannes to see what this is about. And I walked around, and I thought... What the hell? The media people should be here. And so, you know, I think you I made was that probably, your mission. I made that my mission. Bring the media people because we pay for all this stuff. You know, the media buying was where the money was. The creative was where Don Draper hung out and had three <laughs> martinis for lunch. In Cannes, it would be three rosés. But um, and so traditionally, again, it was creative. Then the media folks came. Then the clients came, and it was Procter & Gamble that was the first client to actually say, wait a minute, if our agencies are going there to see creative and share creative, we should be there. And like in most things, once 
Procter and Gamble did it and threw the gauntlet down and Unilever, it was obvious that the clients would all start coming. And then the digital media companies started coming, and it was Microsoft and Yahoo and Facebook and Google and, you know, et cetera. And then everybody started coming. So that's the progression and the continuum of can how it's played out it almost seems to me like it's kind of ces is the beginning of the year bringing together all these entities you've described and then this is sort of the midpoint of the year absolutely sort of bringing it again and it's a forcing function you know so often you hear people say well do i really need to go to can or do i really need to go to ces after all i can see all those same people in new york chicago san francisco la sure you can see them but you know can or ces those act as forcing functions. Mm-hmm. You're there. Yep. And we've also seen, and this was one of the things that MediaLink identified early, it's efficient. When when you have in Cannes five days, seven days really, Sunday to Saturday. Um, I'm not good at math. I think that's seven days. But, <laughs> um, you know, you have a week where the entire convergence of all those industries come together and the senior players are there. There's efficiency in that. You can see everybody within a span of you know a couple of days within a couple of blocks. And similarly at CES. And so for us, it was efficiency on the one hand. And the other hand, opportunistically, when you get all those people together, you can make stuff happen. I would imagine. And I would imagine there's a lot to make happen at a time in the media business where, I mean, let's not you know overdo the cliché. Media business is always in a state of flux, but right now, my God, I mean, it's disruption intensity level like perhaps it's never been seen. Well, using flux and trying to keep it clean, I'd say that's got a flux. <laughs> it's got a flux capacitator, wasn't that the Back to the Future? Uh, uh, yes, you know Christopher Lloyd, the flux capacitator. Yeah, I want to see if I can say that fast five times. <laughs> don't um, try. I'm not going to try because I don't know where I'll end up. Right. We'll have to edit it. <laughs> but. Um, Yes, and and I think we're at a point in time in 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 those convergent industries, the greatest amount of chaos I've ever seen in my career is happening now, and it's that's you know, saying something because you have been around for decades and well, you've been through some tough periods. Absolutely, and I think this is the highest degree of chaos I've ever seen, and and you know, sort of a cluster um, of everybody trying to figure out who's on first and 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 what the what the priorities are. Last year, what we talked about and the year before was everything that revolved around words that begin with the letter T. Hmm. Transparency, the issue around transparency in advertising has been a big issue. Yep. The issue around trust, there was a breakdown in trust between agency and client and publisher. Uh, so you have another word that begins with T. Technology and obviously the you know the importance of technology and, and the rapid pace of change and talent because so many industries there's abundance of talent and so many industries there's a dearth of talent so at that intersection that you know if you look at it as transparency trust technology and talent you see where i'm going the the coincidence of all those words beginning with t i'd say this year there's some other words their t's play a big part in it um, that was never my favorite letter of the alphabet, by the way, but it seems lately to have you know moved up in importance. Sure. And those words would be DTC, or as the acronym for direct-to-consumer, and OTT, over the top. So a lot of T's showing up in this. Just not at the front of the acronym. Just not at the front. But, but I think if, if I had to pick a topic that I think is on everyone's mind this year, it's understanding the psyche and understanding the methods uh, and the differentiation for marketers, 
uh, as it relates to dealing with client adver- or marketing and, and, and advertising in the traditional sense, using the gatekeepers and the networks and the cable and, and the platforms, or going direct to the consumer. Now, you still need help to do that. And I will get political for a moment and tell Uh you um, where I see such an interesting analogy. And I said this three years ago. I wished I'd have said it publicly. I said it privately. Um, My politics will be obvious in a moment, but perhaps. But uh, I think our current president is the first president ever and maybe one of the greatest examples of three things that seem to be on the minds of media companies today. DTC, OTT, and skinny bundles. Okay. Okay. I believe Donald J. Trump was elected president with a skinny bundle. It's the only thing about him that's skinny. Uh, (laughs) And that skinny bundle, in his case, wasn't five channels. It was three issues. He found the three issues that the consumer, if you will, the voters wanted and cared about. Immigration, security, jobs. That was it. He didn't bring us 500 channels. He brought us three. Okay. He brought it direct to the consumer, and he brought it over. Analogy. And he brought it over the top, on the back of Twitter, on the back of social media. So I, I really think if you look at that as a framework for where the world is going today, it's a great. I think. I mean, that's self <laughs> self aggrandizing, but uh, you know, I think it's a great way to make the point. That's what Disney has to deal with today. That's what Warner Media has to deal with today. That's what Netflix deals with. That's what Hulu deals with. Think about all the companies that Comcast, the Don't all forget the, Apple and Apple. You never forget Apple in a conversation around dealing direct to consumer. It's what Steve Jobs saw when he when he launched iTunes. I remember him saying what he realized was the ultimate customer wasn't back in the day for music, Tower Records or HMV or Virgin Megastore. It was Andrew Wallenstein or Michael Casson. He went direct. He said, you want that song. You don't want the whole album. He understood a skinny bundle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so if you look at that and you, and you, you know, use politics as a, as a backdrop and you look at what's happening in the real world in terms of what Disney and Warner and Comcast and Apple and Netflix and Hulu, et cetera, are dealing with, I think that gives you a good picture of why marketers are looking at the world now as two-headed monsters. Brand building, warm and fuzzy commercials that build the brand, and actually calls to action in direct-to-consumer. Look at Peloton. Look at some of the brands that have just been built from nowhere direct-to-the-consumer. It's nothing short of extraordinary. What I wonder, though, is what your marketing clients think of this new wave of direct consumer, uh, you know, whether it's Disney, Apple, you know, would they prefer to be in the same world of, you know, broadcast and cable channels? Or does this new sort of tier of distribution open up opportunities with data and so on that they're craving? Well, interesting question, obviously, because um, the, the inextricable link for a marketer to a content distribution platform is how we all grew up. We grew up in a world where I'm, I'm old, so I grew up in a world where I had channel 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 11, and 13, and I thought that was free because we'd stick a rabbit ear on, the, you know, uh, on top of the television or an antenna on top of the roof, and you got it, and you didn't have to pay for it. Right. Well, you did. 
The quid pro quo was advertising, and you had to make you made a commitment. There was a a quid pro quo. The consideration. I'm a lawyer, so I think of in terms of the consideration for the transaction. The consideration was you'd be available to listen to and or watch the commercial message that was delivered to you on the radio or on television. Now, of course, we never knew if you didn't get up to go to the kitchen or go to the you know bathroom or whatever and miss the commercial. And that would be a breakdown of the consideration, but we took that risk. Famously, John Wanamaker, 100 plus years ago, uh, a department store operator in the East Coast said, uh, and again, this is one of the most overused quotes in advertising, but 50% of my advertising dollars are wasted. The question, of course, is which 50%? Now, we have a better shot at answering that question today. So on the one hand, marketers are thrilled to have more accountability, more transparency, more trust in the numbers. On the other hand, in the world of OTT and SVOD, subscription video on demand, Mm -hmm. the breakdown of where advertising can play a role is dangerous and it's a threat to these folks because as people have talked about the advertising industry, the marketing industry, it's a trillion dollar industry and that trillion dollars is spent on people utilizing commercial messages to deliver information about the products or the goods or the services that they want you to buy. Well, if that has been done traditionally on the back of content, magazines, radio, television, you never picked up a magazine that was all ads. You picked up a magazine that was editorial and ads. You listened to the radio and it was ads and music, television the same. And, and now if it's SVOD, and again, you're making an assumption there that everybody can afford another subscription fee. That's uh, a very questionable assumption. And that's a very questionable assumption because we tend left coast, right coast to say, sure, another $7 a month, no big deal. Lots of people to have another $7 a month is not affordable. Exactly. And, you, you know, the recent numbers that Warner is throwing out with theirs, maybe 15 to $17 a month. You know, we're not in a world where everybody's got unlimited money for additional subscription. So I'm not sure how all that's going to work out. Advertising has been the ability to grease the skids. Advertising has been the ability to get the content and and not have to pay for it in money. I would I would uh, submit pay for paying for it with your time and attention is a more valuable commodity. Mm-hmm. But that's because I'm in a position where I'm fortunate that I can afford the extra $7. So to me, the money isn't the issue. To me, the attention is the issue. And at the end of the day, that's what it should be for everybody. But not everybody has the luxury of that choice. Right. I I wonder whether we are in for quite a free-for-all once all these direct-to-consumer services are out there. I simply don't believe that consumers are going to spend for more than a few of these at most. And that's going to create a lot of carnage. I mean, how do you see it? Absolutely. Carnage is going to be the word of the day. People are going to choose based on the simple equation, I believe. Ease of use, user inter- interface, all of that. But it's about the content, stupid. It's the mm-hmm. old, it's the old, it's about the content, you know? That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can't bet against what, you know, Bob Iger and Kevin Mayer are doing over at Disney. It's about content. It's, you know, you look at their library and you go, is somebody going to pay six ninety nine a month to be able to get that access to all things Disney? Yeah, I think they will. Same argument at $17 a month? That's mm. going to be interesting. Yeah. You know? Uh, 
so so yeah, there'll be a lot of carnage, and I think you know to the victors go the spoils. But in truth, I think it's going to be driven by what it should be driven by: content. Yeah, well, I think and con- user interface and all those things that make it easy to get. And price point. And price point. And yeah, the the disparity of everything between seven and seventeen, it's going to get interesting. But I also wanted to ask, you know, we were talking about SVOD. AVOD is a whole other ball game, something that's also been interesting to watch, given just the sheer amount of controversy everywhere from YouTube to Facebook about what content is appropriate for these platforms. It feels like this is just a never-ending nightmare for these companies. And I was curious, especially as you sit on sort of the Madison Avenue side of this, uh, do you see the stature of these companies, the importance of these companies for marketers diminished by all this? So, you know, it's interesting. In, we've been chatting for 10 minutes or so, and that's the first time we mentioned Facebook or Google, and you can't have a conversation about no. any of this, and they should have been in the first round of, of this. Well, and, and, but, but to your point, that just tells you how, how crowded the field is. Yes. I mean, you had to suggest Apple. I didn't say them, and now we both just realized we hadn't said Facebook and Google. You know, hard to imagine a conversation without that. And by the way, Amazon. So, you know, FANG is no longer the acronym. What was that? Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Right. You now have to expand it. You've got to put Disney into that. You've got a Warner in that. You've got Comcast in that. You've got... You I know, wonder if that pronounces out to a, a I, I don't, coherent acronym. Probably I doubt it. not. Yeah, you know what it would be? Cluster. <laughs> and, you can finish, <laughs> and you can finish the... Uh, that's a two-worded uh, uh, monster. But, you know, I, I think there's an interesting point to make there, Andrew, about platform. I've been a big believer, and if you're talking about um, content and, and, and the type of content, I, I think we have an unfair advantage with the platforms because I think the platforms are trying to separate themselves as being different than media companies, but yet they want to act like media companies, but they want to be called platforms. Yeah. They're media companies. You know, the analogy I've drawn is if you go back to the famous wardrobe malfunction at the Super Bowl, if you recall, as I do, CBS was subject to serious fines by the FCC and a potential of even a loss of their license for a, quote, wardrobe malfunction with (laughs) Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. And you think about brand safety on the, quote, platforms, they're subject to no scrutiny like that, and yet they're media companies. Why is it a fair fight if, you know, the traditional broadcast and cable networks are subject to standards and practices and the quote-unquote platforms are not. Well, they are. Those are now being driven by the advertisers. The advertisers are saying, we want to know we're in brand-safe environment. We don't want our commercial message running next to jihadist beheadings, okay? You know, Joanne Ross at CBS a couple years ago at an Upfront presentation did a great piece. She put up a picture of a you know horrible example of a cruise ship sinking followed by an ad for royal caribbean and 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 her joke was this ship doesn't happen on cbs (laughs) (laughs) okay play on words of course but that is a real issue around brand safety now i think the primary platforms that are in question on this, Facebook and Google, are doing all they can to deal with that. But we're just coming out of this recent example with the Nancy Pelosi um, uh, interview, yes, uh, where 
They manipulated the video to see. You know, and, and Facebook saying, hey, not our problem. I don't agree with that. Uh, again, politics aside, it, it's somebody's problem. Somebody has to own that. And, and you know, pay attention, folks, because the regulators are going to, you know, what we don't do, the regulators will do for us. And my biggest fear in that context is this is such a highly technical area that the regulators aren't educated and the, and, the, and the staff on Capitol Hill are not educated to the nuance. And so I'm afraid in the context of regulators getting involved in this, this will be like what happened in financial services. Hmm. Sarbanes-Oxley was an overcorrection based on Enron. Enron was a horrible circumstance with massive fraud and just dirty players. Sarbanes-Oxley was an overcorrection to that. What I hope does not happen in the regulatory environment we're in today is any overcorrection. Nobody wants Big Brother, whatever that means these days, telling us what, where, who, why, and when, but we also know that left to their devices, excuse the pun, the platforms are not necessarily doing everything that we want them to do. So on the one hand, you're saying it seems like regulation is required. On the other hand, you're saying the potential for overregulation is quite high. So, so how do we win here, and well, how do you think this is going to play out? Well, I, I think we need to, to, to you know, um, I'm going to, you know, remember, and I said this earlier, I practiced law for the first 10 years of my career, Andrew, so I'm going to give you a lawyer's answer. What we need is a Goldilocks solution. This is too hot. This is too cold. We've got to find just right. Yeah. Okay. So we need we need that. I don't know the answer to that, uh, but I'm 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 happy to say that I'm I'm in conversations on both sides of that trade from a regulatory perspective as well from the 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 platforms. I'm using the term I I just you know kind of threw down, but um, to hopefully find that right solution. Mm-hmm. But it's a challenge, and and my fear goes very directly to the overcorrection and the potential for that. So to bring the conversation full circle is, can lie in a place where these conversations will be had? Front and center. You know, uh, example, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman with what they're doing with Quibi. They're coming to Cannes. Jeffrey's going to be awarded the Media Person of the Year Award, which mm-hmm. is quite a feat in that uh, a couple of years ago at the Cannes Film Festival, he received the Palme d'Or. So Jeffrey will be the first person in history to be awarded both the Palme d'Or and the Media Person of the Year. Oh. Happens to be the same city in Cannes, but it's two different industries coming together. So I think that's a great um, you know, example of how the industries really are. If one person could be both a recipient of both of I've those awards. I've never thought of it that way. And yeah. Jeffrey will be the first person in history to do that. And but separately at the Can Lions, we're we're giving the media person or the entertainment person of the year award to Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels has never been in Can for the Lions. I'm guessing he'll have been there for the film festival. I don't know that, or maybe he'll been have been there for MIP or one of the TV festivals. But Lorne Michaels is coming over this year, uh, and he'll receive the 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 entertainment person of the year award. Uh, not splitting hairs, but. You know, I don't think you can find somebody in in our lifetimes uh, that's had a bigger contribution to the entertainment business than Lauren Michaels, certainly in spawning talent. There's no question he's peerless in that regard. You know, it's like the old, 
and you're a student of Hollywood, so you'll appreciate it. Yeah, the famous Louis B. Mayer picture that agreed, that appeared back in the 30s, where it was the tiered tables, and it said more stars than there are in heaven, and it had, <clears throat> excuse me, Clark Gable and you know Shirley Temple and whoever the you know Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, the stars of of that era were all at MGM, and oh. the and the caption said more stars than there are in heaven. If you created that same picture today and put Lorne Michaels as the maestro. And the people who've come through the doors of Saturday Night Live over the last, what, 46, 47 years, I think? No, think probably about, about a year too many, but yeah. Yeah, yeah was, I that. think the 45th was you know a year or so ago. Okay. But, but plus or minus, but think about it. You'd have a couple of tiers of tables, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, going so, way back. And, and, and those people, you know, have impacted cultural, you know, their cultural phenomena, what Saturday Night Life turned out to be. So, again, it's convergence in Cannes this year. Entertainment. You've got every one of the entertainment companies there in force. Disney, Comcast, CBS, uh, all the cable players, they're all there. And the tech companies as well. I remember oh, a time where Snap had quite a presence. Snap, Facebook, Google, Alphabet, every Microsoft, everyone is there. It truly is the melting pot of those industries. Mm-hmm. Others get pieces of that, but advertisers don't go to the Cannes Film Festival in, mm-hmm. in point of fact. There's no reason for them to. They creep into MIP or MIPCOM because it's television and you could argue that they do want to know more about that. But the crossover to the Cannes Lions is, is nothing short of extraordinary. Now, in full disclosure, Andrew, as you know, three years ago I sold MediaLink to a company called Essential, and Essential also owns the Cannes Lions. But we were operating with the Can Lions as partners, as we still do. Now we're sister companies, but we've operated as partners for most of the last 15 years. So that, that's something I always like to at least disclose that. But that has no bearing on the commitment or involvement that we've had in Can for so many years. That was just a nice coincidence. Um, I feel like I'm about to ask you to pick between you know which child you love the most. But in terms of the centrality... Uh, in the conversation for all these industries that we're talking about. Has CAN exceeded where CES is? Uh, I'm curious. So I always love Sophie's Choice, um, <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of which child you love the most. From a media link perspective, it's interesting. CES obviously is the grandfather of all of this. 150,000 people converging on Las Vegas. Uh, there used to be a winter show in Chicago, and this, uh, you know, and 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 then it moved, or a summer show rather in Chicago, and the obviously the winter, the January show in Las Vegas. MediaLink was really instrumental in bringing the marketing community to CES. What we identified was again against the backdrop of efficiency and all of that and calendar, beginning of the year, to your point. But we saw the need, as we redefine, let me back up for a moment, as we redefine the role of the chief marketing officer, uh, what we saw was working with Mark Benioff, actually, at Salesforce many years ago, when he started investing in the marketing cloud, we saw the convergence happening where a traditional chief marketing officer would make marketing decisions, and a traditional chief technology or chief information officer would make technology decisions. You know, Mm -hmm. your IT department. You wouldn't think of your IT department as being involved in marketing. You'd think of your marketing department. The marketer of today and the IT professional of today, think about it. Marketers today are making more technology decisions than ever. 
and techno and 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 marketing people are making more technology decisions, and technology people are making more marketing decisions because of the rise of technology and marketing science. CES was a great place to bring that to life because you had all the tech, and if the marketers got there early, and were able to understand and have dialogue with the tech creators where marketing messages were so important because if you're going to transact business on your phone or on your device, then marketing needs to be more integral in the design and in the development of technology. So for us, we saw that as an opportunity to bring marketing in. So when you come to CES now, Andrew, which I know you have, of course. the C-space was something we created alongside the Consumer Electronics, or now the Consumer Technology Association, originally called Brand Matters. You're familiar because Variety was a big supporter of Entertainment Matters. Yep. We created Brand Matters about 10 years ago uh, to bring the marketers to CES. So I feel a very strong proprietary interest in what happened at CES because I didn't just glom on to that and go there. We actually brought that. Interesting. At, at Cannes, it existed, obviously, like CES. All the marketers were there. We were leaders in bringing media there. And then we clearly played a role in bringing the others there. What I think is unique and special about Cannes is it really is truly that melting pot that I alluded to earlier. It brings everything together. Marketing, media, advertising, entertainment, technology, and now finance. I've never really understood the distinction, but now you've kind of laid it out there. I totally get it. And and uh, look, I appreciate. I will not be at Cannes this year, but I'm sure I'll, I'll see you again at the very least at CES, if not sooner. Looking forward to seeing how Cannes goes from afar. And I thank you for coming in today, Mike. It's always a pleasure. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 